This week's episode is brought to you by the Communicore Weekly Patreon page. Help support the show and get some extra content like songs and videos. Visit patreon.com slash Weekly to find out more. And welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show and home of the world's first pair of independently born identical twins. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And tired. Ugh, that's me <laughs> stretching, in case you can't hear that. I just thought that was like a Yogi Bear impression. No, smarter than the effort. That's not a Yogi Bear impression. I don't know what that was. <laughs> Knew where you were going with it. And, you know, if anybody followed you on any of the social medias, they know that you moved. Yeah, that's why I'm so tired right now. Yeah. I'm yeah. actually taking a nap right now. <laughs> this is, I'm sleep podcasting. It's a new thing. We, we've been doing the show for so long, we can podcast in our sleep. Actually, yeah. Yeah, I think we could, actually. We could totally pull it off. I mean, we're doing it right now, so. Yeah, all somebody has to do is be able to push the record button well, and then I'll, the stop button. Wait, hit the bunch. what button? <laughs> the stop button <laughs> do, am i hitting the right buttons i hope this is recording i really don't want to do the intro over again yeah i know i know it's so hard to come up with these off the cuff yes it is actually after 171 <laughs> episodes it's terrible to come up with new things let's just go into the history segment then it's time for disney history In 2009, Disney bought Marvel Entertainment for about $4.2 billion. That's a lot of money. I'm actually doing the Dr. Evil thing right now, but nobody can see it. I wonder, because when I I was typing that out, I thought, I wonder if he's going to do that. I am, but nobody can appreciate it but me. Uh, That's okay. Anyway, $4.2 billion. And everyone wanted to know, would Disney Disney-fy Marvel? And obviously now we know the answer is no, thankfully. Um, But we didn't know that at the time. Uh, So Marvel has actually been around for quite a while. In 2014, they celebrated 75 years as a company. They actually started out as timely publications in 1939 and were published by Martin Goodman, who had worked in the 1930s at a few other comic and pulp publishing houses. And he actually released Marvel Comics number one in October 1939 for the gigantic sum of 10 cents. So the comic quickly sold out its initial 80,000 copy run. And it featured two long-standing characters, the Human Torch, who was actually an android at the time and not Johnny Storm, and Namor, the Submariner. Each character, of course, would continue in various forms throughout the years. Goodman did a second printing in November of 1939 and sold 800,000 copies. Clearly, he had a hit on his hand. Also included in the October 1939 issue were the Western hero, the Masked Raider, uh, the Jungle Lord, Kazar the Great, 
and the non-continuing character story Jungle Terror featuring adventurer Ken Masters and Now I'll Tell One five single panel black and white gag cartoons and a two page prose story called Burning Rubber about auto racing. All these things tied together really well, I thought. <laughs> yes, totally. <laughs> so the Human Torch appears on the front cover and he's drawn by veteran science fiction pulp artist Frank R. Paul, but inside the actual comic book, the Human Torch looks much, much different. The second issue was released in December of 1939 and was titled Marvel Mystery Comics. Goodman then formed Timely Comics and brought in Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, names very familiar to comic book fans everywhere. Uh, the Daring Mystery Comics number one was released in January 1940. Mystery Mystic Comics number one was in March of 1940. Red Raven Comics number one in August of 1940 and the Human Torch number two in the fall of 1940. Finally, Captain America number one was released in December of 1940. And this is the famous comic book that shows Captain America punching Hitler on the cover. And it would go to sell one million copies. One of the greatest moments in American history. <laughs> yes, but even then they still had all these different comics going. Pretty crazy. Yes. Now, this period is actually considered to be the golden age of comics by fans and comic book historians. In addition to Captain America, uh, the Human Torch, and the Submariner at Marvel, and DC Comics was releasing uh, books featuring Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman. And Kirby and Simon would leave Timely Comics after only 10 issues of Captain America. At that point, Goodman, Goodman brought in a barely 19-year-old man named Stan Lee to be Timely's editor. And it would be that job that Lee would hold for many, many decades. Goodman wasn't one, though, to rest on his laurels, and he tasked Lee with investigating other genres outside of the superhero fair. And over the next 20 years, Lee would add storylines and comics that touched on westerns, horror, romance, and even kaiju monsters. But I'm not sure if he ever mixed the kaiju and the romance. Oh, he could have, though. Who could have? So, uh, And throughout the 1950s, though, Timely Comics would be refer referred to as Atlas Comics. Uh, Goodman's main newsstand company, Atlas, would have 59 shell companies that would put out hundreds of comics, pulp books, and uh, other type of books throughout the 1950s. Now, Atlas did try and reinvent the superhero comic in 1953 and 1954 with The Human Torch, The Submariner, and Captain America, but they all fell flat. And in 1961, Goodman asked Lee to look into the superhero genre again, which kind of led to the beginning of Marvel Comics. November 1961 saw the introduction of the Fantastic Four and the beginnings of the superhero in the real-world line of comics. Uh, Lee and Kirby, essentially, led the company to create the Marvel Universe that ties all the heroes together in these real-world situations. So during the 1960s, Marvel saw tremendous growth with its superheroes. We saw the Hulk, Thor, Iron Man, Daredevil, Spider-Man, Ant-Man, the X-Men, Daredevil, and the Silver Surfer go head-to-head -head with villains like Doctor Doom, Magneto, Galactus, Loki, the Green Goblin, and Doc Ock or Dr. Octopus. Marvel was lauded for creating heroes that looked and sometimes acted like villains as well as for addressing real life issues. Now just for the record, we obviously feel that Daredevil is so important that George named him twice. I did say him twice? You did. <laughs> well with the new Netflix thing yes. coming up. I Subtle advertising for the Netflix series. Fun. Yeah, they're, they're this, week's, this week's sponsor, right? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Okay. <laughs> 
1968, things got a little bit odd. Goodman actually sold Marvel and several of his other publishing lines to the Perfect Film and Chemical Corporation, which sounds like a great place to sell a comic book company to. Um, Goodman stepped down as the publisher in 1972, and his son, Chip, was briefly the publisher until Stan Lee took over. Uh, the 1970s was another slow time for the comics industry, and the editors introduced additional horror, martial arts, and science fiction titles into the mix. Yeah, uh, besides the slowdown, Marvel did great business in the mid-1970s, but lost a lot of ground to DC Comics in the 1980s. Now, this next section I pulled directly from a website because it was so confusing. Um, Marvel Entertainment Group was formed on December 2nd, 1986 as the parent company of Marvel Comics and Marvel Productions. It was then put up for sale as part of the liquidation of its then parent corporation, Cadence Industries, and sold in 1986 to New World Pictures. On January 6, 1989, Ronald Perlman's McAndrews and Forbes Holdings Group of Companies bought Marvel Entertainment Group uh, from New World for $82.5 million, not including, though, Marvel Productions, which was folded into New World's TV and movie business, and now I'm confused. I had a very difficult time following what you were just saying, so, so I basically yeah. took a nap. <laughs> there we go. It, it doesn't seem to get any better for us trying to explain things, but... Marvel had incredible success in the early 1990s. Uh, they released Marvel Universe cards and a ton of variant covers, uh, special issues, crossovers, and expansion of the entire Marvel Universe. And they suffered some losses with artists leaving with some weird outsourcing of titles. But, so, sadly, the company filed for bankruptcy in 1996. And Marvel Entertainment then merged with Toy Biz in 1997 to end the bankruptcy. They diversified their comic lines and introduced several new imprints. They also saw a few successes with film adaptations like Men in Black, X-Men, The Blade series, and Spider-Man. And they also uh, released Marvel Comics Unlimited in 2007, which is a, a computer and smartphone tablet app, which gave access to over 2,500 back issues of Marvel Comics. And that leads us back to August 31st, 2009, when Disney announced it would be acquiring Marvel Entertainment for $2.4 billion. Uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe was already in play with Iron Man 1 and 2, Thor, and Captain America the First Avenger being distributed by Paramount and Universal, and then all the films released in 2012 and later were distributed by Walt Disney Studios. Yeah, you know, there were a lot of things that we just didn't have the time to cover in this segment. And we know that a lot was left out, especially a lot of the crazy stuff with Stanley in the 70s. There were other smaller acquisitions that pushed the business forward, and a lot of different comics in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s that we couldn't even think about mentioning. Yeah, I mean, the entire Marvel brand company is humongous, and it always has a lot going on. I mean, we're really glad that it's part of uh, the Disney conglomerate now, and, I mean, we can't wait to see more films and future theme park attractions or whatever else Marvel has in store. Um, and we do like that Disney didn't Disneyfy Marvel, like, let them do their own thing, which I think is still uh, doing some pretty good stuff. I mean, yeah, there's some clunker storylines in there. I read comics. <laughs> I'm a nerd. Deal with it. But I think Marvel's still pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, they just left them alone. They've let them bring in their own talent, some incredible names. To Leave write Marvel alone! <laughs> That's a reference only the internet from, will get from five years from, ago. Yeah, from the fanboys. But, you know, they've done a great job of just letting Marvel do what they do best. And honestly, that's something that Iger's really good at, acquiring companies and just saying, keep doing what you're doing. So hopefully we'll get some more good movies. But we want to know what you think. 
about uh, all the Marvel history and Disney's acquisition of Marvel, call us on the CommuniCore Weekly Goat line at 424-785-4628. That's 424-785-GOAT. He's a nerd, he's a geek, but we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his speech. It's George's Book of the Week. Just like a lot of other Disney fans, I am super excited about the release of the Tomorrowland film. And no, this is not a review of the Tomorrowland film, but after reading Disney's Before Tomorrowland, I am super duper excited about the release of the of the Tomorrowland film. You know, from the brief glimpses in the Tomorrowland teaser trailers, you really get the idea that a lot of the film is based on some sort of futuristic society. You know, Tomorrowland, duh. And it's uh, almost one that's sort of based on Walt's visions for Epcot Center. Uh, the book, Before Tomorrowland, is a really great read on so many levels. And the biggest question I've received is if you need to read it before seeing the film. You know... Honestly, the answer is no. I mean, you're not going to learn any more secrets about the film since it takes place during the... The book takes place during the 1939-1940 New York World's Fair and the World's First Science Fiction uh, Convention, which is way before the film takes place. But that <laughs> said, it will deeper your appreciation of the Plus Ultra Society and the work they do, which plays into the upcoming film. Uh, but for the book itself, I mean, I didn't think I can be any more excited for Tomorrowland. And then I read Before Tomorrowland, and I got even more excited for Tomorrowland. It was fantastic. <laughs> and we are getting paid a nickel for each time we say Tomorrowland. Tomorrowland. So, just in case. <laughs> now, they, the, the, I thought, uh, personally, the book did take a few chapters to get started. But, you know, they're trying to get that story going, trying to introduce you to the characters. Um, but once the story really fell firmly in place, the action and intrigue started. The Plus Ultra group is made up of very forward thinkers who want to make the world a better place. You've got people like Nikolai Tesla, Howard Hughes, and Amelia Earhart. Uh, they make up part of the secret society. And, and there are several plot lines that uh, definitely interweave, and, and, and the cast of characters, you know, they fit the story very well. And as stated in the beginning of this book, uh, every character mentioned is real. Well, the real historical figures, if uh, you will. Yeah. You know, True. the two lead characters are inventions by the author Jeff Jensen, but to me, I mean, they're really so three-dimensional. They're, they kind of are three, uh, like, real people. He did such a good job at developing these characters. Um, you know, unfortunately, Jeff Jensen's wife passed away um, from terminal cancer uh, mm -hmm. not too long ago, but he kind of used that knowledge and the pain and the hurt for his main characters, and it really made them seem even more real. Um, and not many writers can do that and do it well, so it was really amazing to see that. And I mean, I've been a fan of Jeff Jensen since he was working for Entertainment Weekly and he was covering Lost and everything. So I, 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 I'm predisposed to like his writing, but I think he did a great job here. So my only natural response is 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. I'll see you in another life, brother. That's right. <laughs> if anything happens to me, George Taylor is my constant. Yes, on in the Disney universe. Yes. So, <laughs> well, um, you know, I thought the book itself was put together so very well. Uh, really reminding me a lot of some of the earlier science fiction from the 30s and the 40s. You know, stuff that was serialized. E each chapter had a title and a subheading, and the subheading would give you a bit of insight. You know, what to expect in the chapter itself, and there were some 
really great black and white illustrations scattered throughout the book that were done by Jonathan Case, who's well known for a lot of other work. And they, they, they look like simple pen and ink, but they really help add a lot to the story. Yeah, and again, we can't stress enough that you won't learn really any new tidbits about the upcoming film in this book, but it does really lay the groundwork for the amazing world that we're going to see on the screen soon. I mean, the Plus Ultra folks were using the 1939-1940s World Fair to reveal their work to the world, which I think may tie into the 1964-65 World's Fair connection of the new film. But, I mean, it's so cool that in the book they had all these great historical minds working together in this one place, and, you know, yes, <laughs> someone of that group may have died before the setting of this book, but uh, there's an explanation yeah. for that. But it's amazing to see them interact together to work for a better world, and also to see them fight. Uh, because of it mm -hmm. what they're going after so you know i really got the feeling that people that that read before tomorrowland before tomorrowland how many nickels are we up to now oh gosh i have no idea so so if you read the book before tomorrowland tomorrowland before you go see the movie tomorrowland yeah that you you will gain some insight into the film it, it really feels like it's being set up that way that there's a lot of backstory that will be covered um i am so even more excited to see tomorrowland now after uh, us reviewing this book now. I know. Is, so, it, is it May 22nd yet? How about now? Uh, gosh, you know, for some people it probably is. Oh my. So how was the film? Tell us. Tell us right now. now. Quick, to the swan boat time uh, machine. From us, that is two Faustian thumbs up from your friends at Plus Ultra. Yay. Yay. You don't know what you know till we know you. Know, you just don't know. Here's one little fact we bet you didn't. One little fact we bet you didn't know. The Fort Wilderness Kennel opened on March 2nd, 1976, and took in its first guest, a dog named Noah. Now, we know it you. <laughs> if it's a legend that you seek, come on and take a peek at the window of the week. At the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World, you'll find this window, and it says, Olsen's Imports, Souvenirs, Novelties, World's Largest Collection of Keychains, Jack Olsen, The Merchant Prince. Now, Jack Olsen started as a background artist for Walt Disney Studios in 1955, and soon he became the manager of the stores at Disneyland due to his background in operating art supply stores and galleries in Los Angeles. And in 1960, he was moved to the merchandising department as manager of product and product design and development. By 1970, he was the vice president of merchandising, and his window alludes to the fact that he kept the store stocked with all the souvenirs and novelties that guests would want to bring home, especially keychains. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat. <laughs> now, before you had to blast Zerg and his minions in Buzz Lightyear's Space Ranger spin at Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom, there was If You Had Wings. But we don't care about that right now. We want to talk about Dream Flight, and Delta Dream Flight, and Take Flight, which came after If You Had Wings. Now, you see, there were some cutout chickens that were featured in those two rides that somehow got on a rocket ship and blasted into space and are now helping Buzz Lightyear. Because in the volcano room of Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger Spin, directly in front of the Star Cruiser, you will find these now space chickens fighting the good fight and paying tribute to the airline attractions that came before it. Uh, so I wonder if you get points for zapping them. I don't I don't think there's any things on them. Maybe. It's just Probably mean not. to shoot chickens, guys. Don't shoot chickens. <laughs> We've just 
I hope there's not like a chicken shooting group we've just offended. We may have. If there's any chicken shooting groups that listen to this podcast, I apologize, but I'm not going to shoot a chicken. <laughs> Real or cardboard cutouts. Yes. Okay. So let's let's move along. Let's talk about this week's prize winner for the year of a million or so limited time cadets. There's still time for you to become part of the celebration. Yes, I'm talking to you, not Jeff, but all the cadets listening. Send an email to communicorweekly at gmail.com. Give us your name, your address, so stuff can be mailed to you, yeah, and your birthday, so other things can be mailed to you. That sounded very nefarious. It did, but I didn't mean it to sound Okay, just to be clear, we're not sending, like, weird uh, cardboard cow chickens that somebody had shot, so... Exactly. So email all those cool things to communicorweekly at gmail.com to be part of this year's celebration. We're not quite halfway through. We've given away so many awesome prizes and people love it. But this week's prize is a copy of the book Before Tomorrowland. Tomorrowland. Wow. Before Tomorrowland, courtesy of Disney Press. Thank you very much, Disney Press. This week's winner is Jennifer S. from Bakersfield, California. Hooray! Yay! We do need to get some like clapping noises. I mean, I have some, and I really should edit them in, but I just it's, don't. Takes too much time. I mean, yeah, just exactly. dropping that sound file in, and you're doing. That, I mean, come on. Let's let's be honest. I'm not gonna do it. It's hard enough to remember to put the theme music and the bumpers in, right? Wait, what? There's what? <laughs> just kidding, guys. I do it. I really like just doing do it. A whole episode with no bumpers. No, just, then Andy will beat us up. Just pure silence. I even forget Andy to put the could. dialogue in. Exactly. (laughs) Well, anyway, uh, thank you guys so much for watching and listening to another episode of Communicore Weekly. However you absorb the show, whether you're listening or iTunes or watching on YouTube, leave us a comment or give us a rating. We'd love to hear what you think about it. And besides joining or entering the contest, the year of a million or so limited time cadets, email us at communicoreweekly at gmail.com just to say hello, send us cool photos, tell us what's going on. Hashtag subcory. Oh, that's right. Dashed. <laughs> Forgot about that. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash weekly. Yep, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Imaginerding. He's at Jeff Heimbook. And put in that sup Corey hashtag so that Corey Celeste will know that you're talking about. She's going to hate us, and she is. it's okay. This is why that's we're okay. friends. Um, Also, give us a call on the Communicore Weekly hotline at 424-785-4628. Yep, and be sure to visit CommuniCoreWeekly.com and check out the Communa store. You can buy some awesome t-shirts and get a copy of Communicore Weekly, the musical. And, of course, send a self-addressed stamped envelope to Communicore Weekly, P.O. Box 432, Orange, California, 92856. And I will send you your official cadet membership card, Communicore Weekly stickers, all that fun stuff. Yeah, and didn't you have a cadet whip out his card a week or two ago? I did. At WonderCon, I had a cadet whip out his card, and it was so cool that he had his membership card in his wallet. Yes, thank goodness we didn't put that. If you show us your card, you get 10 bucks. Yes, because I would have been out 10 bucks. Yeah. Because I didn't have it right then. Uh, and speaking of 10 bucks, you can visit patreon.com slash weekly and help support the show. And as I mentioned, get some cool extra things. Uh, for Jeff Heimbuck. I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. Thanks so much for listening, guys and gals. We'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. Hugh Lord. <laughs> <laughs>